0: Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, <laughs> Louis Grenier. In today's episode, we are going to talk about sucking less at copywriting. Um, and it's specifically how to overcome writer's block, how to come up with good headlines, and how to write a proper about page. So my guest today is probably one of the worst designer I know, but he's probably one of the best copywriters <laughs> um, I've never come across. So I'll explain why I'm saying this in a few uh, moments. Uh, my guest today has more than 81,000 people in his email list, I believe. He's best friend with uh, Noah Kagan from Sumo, uh, whom we interviewed recently on the podcast. He has a six-figure business uh, teaching people to suck less at copywriting. He worked and um, did copywriting for companies like Entrepreneur, Business Insider, HubSpot, Dig, Forbes, Buffer, Housegator, Medium, Kissmetrics, Reddit, and so on. The list is almost endless. So I'm super happy to have Neville Medora with me. Uh, Neville, welcome aboard. Thank you for having me, Louis. Let me explain why I said that you're a shitty designer. Um, (laughs) If people don't know... Uh, you and copywriting course with a K. So a copywriting course, it's not C, uh, it's, it starts with a K, right? And even mm-hmm. course starts with a K. So yeah. if, if if you're listening to this podcast right now and have never heard of, of, of this website, please go there and you'll see what I mean. So Neville has this super interesting style of illustrating his posts and his emails with some very simple doodles that you probably do on paint. Almost? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do diamond paint. So but it's it's that's the beauty of personality. That's the beauty of a marketer. I feel that you know exactly who you are, what you stand for, and you you really don't have any feeling that uh people might, you know, I don't know, not like it or don't agree with you. You 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 just roll hundred percent and photo your. Well,
1: are. I mean, I'm sure people don't like it, and people have told me they're like, "Oh, it just looks too too silly for me to take seriously" or something like that. Right. And and the reason I keep doing it is because I I'm really bad at drawing. Yeah. <laughs> but in my mind, I don't think of copywriting as just words on a page, right? I think of copywriting as transmitting information from one brain to another, right? So just like uh, if you buy a new iPhone and you install the Skype app on it, right? The Skype app has all the code and it just installs on that phone instantly, right? Well, our brains are a little slower than that, right? We have to learn stuff slower. We have to pick it up. We have to practice. That's how we learn. And so I always think of how can I get a thought, an idea, a concept into someone's brain in the fastest and shortest amount of time? How do I do that? So reading text is one way of doing it. Uh, Showing a still image is one way of doing it. Showing a moving image is one way of doing it. Showing a movie with audio and video is one way of doing it. And in the future, some sort of virtual reality type system or whatever will be another way to do it. And so I try to use at my disposal all the tools I have to install information in other people's brains. And so I think a combination of text and images or sometimes moving images seems to be the best way to do it at the moment. But, and that's why I use my crappy drawings, because I like to use drawings to demonstrate stuff. And because they're so stupid, people think like, ah, oh, that's that's it's not very professional, but I get the point. And that's all I'm going for. Do they get the point? And it seems those silly images just do the job the best.
0: Yeah, because they're simple, as you said. But yet I, I love what you're saying about copywriting and why it's important, like thinking back of why we're doing this. Um but surely the written word is not as it's not really an easy way to 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 how do you say that like to communicate your idea to other people or to at, at least make them download your their information uh, your information in their brain right
1: well it's it's one way and sometimes it's better so for example uh, a lot of people always say they read a book and then they see the movie and they're like you hear the same thing over they're always like oh the book was way better right you know the movie the martian was only you know 2 hours long or so uh, versus the book, it takes you, you know, 24 hours to read it. Right. And so in your mind, you're creating these whole landscapes and everything. And then when you see it on the, on the movie, you're kind of like, Oh, that's not as cool as what I was thinking. And so, um, there are certain things that you can transmit better through the written word. However, a lot of concepts, I mean, I think having a visual component is far better. And that's one of the reasons I think a lot of people like some of my writing is if you'll notice, Almost none of my posts don't have images in it. Um, I I think maybe none of my posts have zero images. So um, I'm a big, big proponent of using lots of images, but custom images, that's the difference. A lot of people just use a lot of GIFs and stuff like that that they find elsewhere. And to me, that's not as powerful. It's just kind of distracting, actually. Um, My images always have a purpose, and that's to uh, implant that thought in your brain even better. So that's the way I like doing it. I don't know if it, everyone likes doing it, but I think that's the, um, nowadays we have so much access to phones and things that can easily download images. Like why not use them?
0: Yeah. And I have to say that like the, re- the reason why I contacted you and the reason why I've been on your list for so long is because of those images. Uh, also, <laughs> and, and. and not only the images, but it's true that it just makes it easier to read, right? It's like, make it easy in the eye. It's, you understand concepts Sometimes you just scan through the page and you just look at the illustrations and, and you get the point without reading every single word. And I like what you said about the written word that basically sparks your imag- imagination in a sense. So it's not only about the written word on the page, it's about the reaction that it gets once you read them. It's like what your brain does as soon as you start reading something that you like and that is compelling.
1: Yeah. Also, I, I like things that like it's kind of interesting, like hieroglyphics, you know, from the, the ancient Egyptians, you can kind of almost understand them without having to know how to read hieroglyphics. So someone from 2000 years ago with, you know, a rock on another rock was able to communicate something to me 2000 years later um, with just images now, if they had their own form of text back then, like Aramaic or whatever, I would have no idea how to read that. And most people in the world would have no idea how to read that. But an image somehow just crosses every single person in the world. You know, you can show the picture of a dog to pretty much anyone and they'll know what it is. They might have different language to express it, but they will. you will have installed that thought in their head with just an image and, and that's it. So that's why I think I think images are far more powerful than text. I think combination of images and text is the best, though. Yes. Why? Why do most people suck at copywriting? I think they try to blow things. Uh, so I think what you're talking about is you are talking about like the warrior forum and all those kinds of things. Right. A lot of people get sucked into this direct marketing world where they're trying to sell a product that isn't all that good sometimes. So the way that you make it good is through scarcity or through telling them that it's going to be great and change their life. And then when they get the product, it's kind of like, yeah, whatever, right? It it just doesn't live up to the expectations. That's why people think it's crappy. Um, So it's just hypey. It's it's overselling the product and then under delivering. And I think that's a dangerous spot to be in. And I think the other reason that direct mail was so hypey back in the day was one, you can get away with it, right? There was no recourse. Now, if your product sucks, someone can write a tweet, someone can write a blog post and, and expose you basically. Um, back in the 1920s, if you saw some uh, ad for, you know, some liquid that's gonna cure cancer, um, you you couldn't really tell if it works or not. You have to just trust them. So nowadays, that's gone away a little bit. I think the other reason is you could you only had one shot Okay, back in the 1920s, if you bought an advertisement in the newspaper, you only had one shot and very limited space to sell them. So you had to convince them of the problem. You had to sell them the product that you're offering. And then you had to accept their order all in a little bitty square that might be like two inches by two inches. So you had to be far more aggressive and provide far less information about the product back then. Now you have social media, you have an endless amount of pages you can put a long video up, you can do so many more uh, things to promote a product that you don't have to be as shady anymore. So I think a lot of that old information of just like, you have to be super aggressive in your headline. I don't think a lot of that is as applicable today, now that you can contact the customer unlimited times through social media, email, phone calls, etc. So I think that's why a lot of uh, marketing is still really crappy. They're kind of taking those old pieces of marketing advice and holding them up as if, like, that's the only way to do it. So I I think it's it's kind of morphed into that, especially the direct response world.
0: I I really believe the same thing when it comes to marketing, starting with a good product. I I think that's what we keep repeating in this podcast. If you have to sell a shitty product, you're almost done because you have to use shady tactics. You have to lie in your copy. You have to overpromise. And yeah, so... When you select clients to work with, do you actually actively select people who sell a a good product or a good service?
1: Uh, Sometimes they slip through the cracks. I do offer consulting and it's, it's, it's something like 600 an hour. So the good part about that price range is that it kind of eliminates all the people that have really, really bad products. So unless they're making a decent amount of money, they, they can't afford the consulting in the first place. Right. So that helps weed it out. But I don't do, um, uh, weight loss stuff really. Uh, because a lot of that stuff, like these pills and stuff, they just, they flat out don't work. Okay. <laughs> so, so I hate writing for that. Um, I like software. I like writing for software clients. And the reason Louie is that you can't lie with software right? It either works or it doesn't. And you can show the software working and it either, you know, you input something and it outputs whatever you say it does, or it doesn't, it's binary. It, you can't lie about it. Whereas like a pill or some of those things or a product, like you know, some sort of information product, you can often lie about what it's going to do and then blame the results on the person. Whereas the software, you can't do that. It just has to work. So whenever I select clients, I, I do make sure they have uh, good products first and usually only those people have good products can afford it and at that point yeah i tell people i won't do pills i won't do weight loss type things um and i do prefer software because you just it, it does what it says and you almost don't even need copy sometimes for software you can just do images and gifs. so yeah. if you look at like Airtable.com or something like that uh that will be a really good uh demonstration of a product without a lot of copy just a lot of images
0: that's an interesting way to put it. And I think in the software world, uh, more and more, you can try product for free, right? And so the barrier to from the promise to the delivery of its promise is almost instant as well. It's, it's like there's almost nothing stopping you from trying every single software you want before making exactly. a decision. Exactly.
1: Think of any Google product. They didn't sell you on it. Someone just told you about it, like Google Docs. And then you go to docs.google.com and start playing with it. And you're using the software and it either does what you want it to do or it doesn't. And it's just that simple, you know? It, it helps you or it doesn't, so that's why I like software. I think that's I think that's the those are the best clients because they have something you can demonstrate, and I think that's really neat. Right, N- Neville. I have to admit something
0: to you right now. Yes. Um, <laughs> I am scared shitless of writing copy. Uh huh. And I f- I found some copying mechanism to be better at it, and I I. And I know that you've you've talked about it. Uh, you've talked about writers' blog, uh, writers' blog on your blog. Mm-hmm. And this is something I want to go uh, through straight away because I know I'm not the only one suffering from this. I know that plenty of people are staring at this blank page sometimes and like, fuck. Today I'm gonna write this blog post that I meant to be uh, to write like two months ago, and nothing happens, right? So I do have a few techniques now that I'm using to to, to ease up this 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 fucking fear that I have inside me. Um, but I have no fear to interview anyone and publish it as a podcast though, which is quite weird. So mm-hmm. anyway, how would you convince me, or like, how would you help me to overcome
1: this writer's block? What type of techniques do you think are working the best? I think I think it's a little bit of a cop-out when people say writer's block, right? Because what that means is they haven't worked very hard on it, I think. I think they stare at a blank page and they're like, where do I go? So there's a couple solutions that, are, that, that can get you over writer's block, right? Um, one is have a swipe file, right? So I have you know swipefile.com is a thing. We just moved over the domain, so if it looks a little funky, sorry. But uh, swipefile.com, and a swipe file is basically a collection of other people's writing. And so if you're like, okay, I need to write a sales page, what do I do? Or I need to write a pricing structure, like what do I do? The number one way is to look at what other people are doing. So a swipe file is an old marketing term where you would literally collect pieces of magazine cutouts or newspaper ads and look at them for inspiration, right? So you can do that. The other thing to do is start with some sort of template. So I talk about ADA extensively in my course, attention, interest, desire, action. And it's just like, what do you, so so I work it backwards, the action part, what do I want people to have learned by the end of that blog post? Right. So, for example, in this podcast, you told me that there's there's a couple things that you want to hit upon. Well, in the blog post, are there a couple things that you want to hit upon? So, if you work it backwards, I find it to be much simpler. Um, so, what I usually do in my blog posts, I don't just sit down and say, "What should I write?" That that's not how I write. I, I used to, and that's very difficult. I have a large file that I keep of things I want to write about, and then I research what I want to write about. So for example, my latest blog post was, um, absurd CTAs calls to action. I wanted to do a call to action post, but I realized that's been done a million times and I'm never going to rank in the search engines by just doing call to action and talking about a call to action. So I said, well, what's an interesting spin I could put, I as Neville, I as copywriting course can put on a call to action. And I was like, everyone's done like the same stuff. So I'm going to, what if I do like really shitty calls to action? Like that would be kind of funny. And so what I did was, uh, absurd calls to action, just, just, I didn't want to use the word shitty. And so I did absurd calls to action and, and that was a, and that was a much more fun way to do the post. I just have to shove it out the door. But once I realized like, I'm just going to make a joke post, it's going to be like a joke. Like I'm not serious. I'm going to say that. Uh, your call to action is the only thing that's important on your whole site. And the, the, the crazier it is, the more money you'll make. And once I had that angle down, it was very easy to make the rest of the post, right? So once you have the angle and what you're trying to transmit in the post, then it becomes very easy. Most people stare at a blank page with no idea what they're going to do. Um, I, at least before, I don't pull up a blank page ever. I pull up a whole file of blog posts that I need to write. And that's why it's so much easier for me, whereas some people just stare at a page and say, like, I need to make a blog post. What should I write? That's right. difficult because there's there's no there's no work they did ahead of time.
0: Right. So keep a swipe file. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. So keep a swipe file of not only, I would say, ideas uh, that you have, which mm-hmm. I have. I have um, the notes, you know, the notes app on my Mac and iPhone. And whenever I have an idea, I drop it there. But also things that you see others doing that you like, right? So you screenshot using Dropbox and boom, you put it in a folder and you you revisit them uh, when you feel you're stuck or when you you need ideas, right?
1: Yeah, or I publish my own on swipefile.com and you can see all my stuff. Right, (laughs) and
0: I went actually there. So it used to be swipefile.io, right? Now it's uh,
1: swipefile.com. And, and it's funny because literally right before this podcast, we updated the HT access file to redirect to swipe So <laughs> nice. you are seeing a like a like a, a 12 minute old site <laughs> <laughs> um, that we switched everything to. <laughs> well done. Uh, talking about ADA again. So remind us uh, what it stands for. ADA is attention, interest, desire and action. And this is the most important and I think powerful copywriting formula I've ever heard. And honestly, it's kind of the only one I use. I've seen all these other formulas, but this is just one that just, it it transcends every single thing. Like you can use a blog post for it. You can make a sales page out of it. You can uh, convince your children to do something with it. So uh, would you like me to walk you through it real quick? Yes, it's really powerful. Yeah. So um, let's say that you're trying to get someone to drink more water, right? Uh, You want them to drink more water. Well, the way that most people would say is like, "Hey, Louis, you should just drink more water." Now, that's not a very convincing argument. No, that's right? really no. So let's say I say, "How can we do this with attention, interest, desire, action?" That's the logical progression of making a good point and getting it through to someone's brain. So what I would say is, let me get your attention by getting your attention with something you care about. So, uh, Louis, do you do you ever work out? Is fitness, you know, part of your day? Yeah, I try to run. Yeah. You try to run. Okay. So, um, so let's say you want to work out and get a little bit bigger. Uh, so did you know that drinking water actually improves your fitness greatly? Okay. So Mm -hmm. that's one thing. And now the interest part, I need to give you interesting facts and resources about why that works. So, um, let's say you're lifting weights and you go to the gym three times a week, for example. Um, if you lift weights for 30 minutes, And then immediately after your weights, you drink one liter of water. You just chug it out of a bottle. Just drink one liter of water. You will have 30% more gains in your workouts. And the reason that happens is because water is a universal solvent in your body. You need water to make any chain reaction happen in your body. And if you have a ton of water, these reactions happen more efficiently. So a lot of people will work out, work out, work out, and not drink a lot of water. That means they're losing 30% of the work they just did. They've only done 70% of the work. So if after your workout, you just drink one liter of water, you will get 30% more results from it. That's all. So now do you want to drink a little bit of water after your workout? That's pretty convincing, right? It is. Indeed. Yeah. So um, so the desire is, so desire part we already went through attention interest. Now desire is all you have to do to get 30% more workout for all the workouts you do is drink a liter of water after you work out immediately after just chug a liter of water. Um, that's got that's kind of the desire and the action part, the action I'm telling you what to do. So, uh, that's Ada in a, in a formula. I gave you a way to get better. Um, the crazy part is I just lied about all that. I don't know if any of that's true. If drinking water will, <laughs> will help you get more muscles. The point is. It, it was such a convincing argument. Um, so a lot I've done that. I've done that in big groups of people before, and they'll all be like, "Oh my god, I definitely need to start drinking more water after I work out." <laughs> Something like, "Wait a second, this is all a lie. I just made it up." The I, and the reason I didn't use a real thing is because I want to show how convincing that is just by using that formula.
0: I was actually so, taking my bottle of water right there. and just like, you exactly. Know, drinking you're just more. like, I
1: need to drink more water. Um, <laughs> but, but, but I just told you a lie, but it sounded so convincing because I used that ADA formula. Um, so, so I, I grab something that's of your interest, right? Maybe, uh, podcasting, like how for you, I'd be like, do you know how my good friend gets a hundred thousand podcast downloads every day with one little trick? You know, uh, it, that sounds like clickbait, but at the same time, you definitely want to know what that one little trick is, right? absolutely tell me now yeah so so that's why so it's a. Uh, so instead of using having writer's block i used to when i started writing now i instinctively do this i write aida attention interest action on the page and then i just fill in those sections and then i have a full blog post right there
0: give me a bit more detail about the desire part so uh, attention makes total sense uh, mm-hmm. interest makes sense i I do struggle to uh, understand the difference between the uh, interest and the desire.
1: Yeah, that, that is, you know, it's funny, that is a, the most commonly asked question. And the desire part, so interest is kind of the interesting facts, so, you know, water is a universal solvent, amino acids, all that kind of stuff. So the desire part, I can make a desire section like this. Um, let's say you, Louis, and your friend Bill are working out together every week, right? after three months, you have been drinking a lot of water and Bill is not drinking a lot of water after his workout. He's not drinking the liter of water that I told you. So after three months, you will be 30% stronger than him. Like you'll be so much stronger. You can't even work out together. Um, you'll have to work out with a different partner because you're so much stronger than Bill just because you drink water. That is the desire section because in your head, you're like, yeah, I want to be stronger than Bill. (laughs)
0: So, so, so in this, it's it's like you're talking about jobs to be done, type of
1: of thinking. What are people trying to achieve? You are you are trying in the desire section. You are trying to showcase what their life will be like with that product or action. Right.
0: So that makes like, sense. So attention, you catch their, their attention with like questions, and you, you you make them wonder. You make them want to know more. Uh-huh. Um, interest. You you kind of state facts and 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 things that are in the present. Should I say like mm-hmm. something that is currently happening, right, in uh-huh. a sense. Uh, desire, you talk about the future and the future state, where do they want to be? Um, and then action is like the call to action, what yeah. what they need to do, right?
1: Yeah, now I mean, these aren't, okay, so I don't want to make this like a hard and fast rule, you have to use it, attention, interest, desire, action each time, but it is a nice framework that sets it up very easily. And people have like have additions to this framework when it gets so complicated. It becomes like ADA FG FL. It's like so complicated. I'm like, okay, (laughs) let's just stick with ADA and then go from there. Right? Just just keep it simple. You don't have to make it too difficult, Um, and you don't have to follow a formula every time. It's just a general rule of thumb. What I've
0: what I've noticed is. I think last year, I I really set a a kind of a challenge on myself saying, I want to write every day and it doesn't have to make sense. So what I used to do is write every morning using morning pages, which is 750 words every morning. I was just Uh literally dumping my thoughts on paper. Nobody was reading them. Thank fuck for that. Um, and, (laughs) um, and as, when I started to get into this habit and routine of doing that every day, after a few days, after a few weeks, I got much more comfortable with the idea of writing on its own. And I believe that I produced my best blog post ever in this period. Um, and so I think that's also one, one, one advice I would give. I'm not a copywriter and I am not trying to be, uh, but I definitely something that worked for me was to just get to, get to the writing stage. Just fucking write anything.
1: I mean it's 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 just practice like anything else is right yeah. if you do something if you play tennis all the time and you step on a tennis court you know what to do because you've done it so many times and similarly with copywriting people are like oh i'm afraid to write it's like how many things have you written zero okay yeah so <laughs> you yeah, know it's like for your first time doing something um, so there are a lot of tricks to help but yes i mean the, the boring advice is just keep writing yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and that- i would i would also say that you know that's one way to just brute force it but it's also like, maybe think about what you were. I like working everything backwards in life. I I try to think like, what's the end result of this? You know, like, what am I aiming towards? And then maybe I could course correct. And so am I just looking to write a blog post about my day and how it was like, or am I looking to teach people a specific piece of advice? Right? Right. So if I'm writing a blog post and I know I'm trying to teach people how to become a copywriter that that makes the entire post much easier to write you know i'm not just writing just something random and it becomes this meandering article i always have a point to the article of course so i yeah. think that's also helpful
0: uh, and and finally one thing that i spotted when we talked about writers blog on your blog uh, writers blog on your blog is <laughs> the recording or dictating to your own iphone or or something like this so that's something i started to do and it's actually quite powerful uh I would just have a sort of an outline in front of me of, of of what I want to write. And then I would just speak about it in my iPhone and get it transcribed or or have a Google Doc transcribe it automatically. And then I don't feel like, oh, fuck, I have to write a blog post. I feel like, OK, I have a blog post in front of me. I just need to polish it.
1: Yeah. And you know the reason why? It's because you practice talking all the time. You probably talk every day, right? I, I do. You've probably <laughs> been talking since you were one and a half. So, you you practice talking all the time. That's why talking so easy, right? Um, whereas Good writing, point. a lot of people don't practice it. So, it's just that simple. That's I've never thought about it this way, but it makes a yeah. sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Right? <laughs> it's pretty simple. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Right, okay. So I think this first part is is, is pretty much cornered. the writer's block and how, how to how to get over it. The second thing I really wanted to talk about, and I maybe won't have time to talk about the about page and how to write one, we'll see. But the second thing I really wanted to talk uh, to you about, because you're a fucking master at that and I'm so jealous, uh, mm-hmm. is the headlines and, and why it's so important. So just before we go into the how to write good head- headlines... From your perspective, why do you think it's such an important thing uh, in copywriting and, and here's marketing the funny in general? Thing.
1: Okay, here's the funny Tell thing. Me. I have some theories about this before we dive in. Everyone talks about it being a very important thing, and I will admit, I rank for a lot of these keywords of you know, uh, you know, how to write a headline, all that kind of stuff, but or a tagline or something like that. But here's the thing: I only do that because it's such a commonly searched term. Right. I actually don't think that your headline is. As important as people say, and and the reason that it, it it's got that connotation is once again from history, right? If it's 1920 and you spent ten thousand dollars, which is the equivalent of a lot of dollars today, um, to get a magazine ad to promote your transistor radio or something like that, you only have one shot at getting people's attention, and and that but that was back then. Now you can retarget people. You can uh, send them multiple emails. You can send them text messages. You can send them multiple blog posts. You have a lot of different chances to get their attention. So I don't think the headline is as important. With that said, if you think of that's how I think of headlines, that's not as important. I don't put that much pressure on myself for headlines. And it's kind of funny that you say I'm good at headlines because I actually kind of don't give a shit as much.
0: Yeah, but that's just the write point. I yeah? something
1: that's relevant.
0: It's not the so, point. You're good at it because you don't give a shit. It's like very much like your images are on their own. You would look at them and say they are shit, but they're not. They're super effective, yeah. effective right? So, well,
1: well, so for example, I, I sent out a title generator recently to my blog list. I made a little generator that generates a bunch of titles for you or, or subject lines, whatever you want to call them. And the the, the email was title generator. <laughs> like. Right. like And then I sent another email out about it recently, and it was title generator, generate 120 headlines with one word or something like that. There there was no effort gone into it. I just described what they're going to get. Um, And I only did it one shot. I didn't write a million headlines or a million subject lines. Now, whenever I'm writing with a client and we want to write a headline, they think it's really important because it's in their head. So what I do is I'll generally write out 10 headlines. That's it. Um, I personally only write out four for my own stuff. I don't know why four came about, but that's just what I use, but I'll write 10 for other people. And the reason is, let's say we're trying to come up with the name of this podcast. It's, uh, you know, uh, learn from Neville Medora. So what I would do is write, I would think about 10 headlines. So one is, uh, Neville Medora, the King of copywriting, or how to learn how to write headlines with Neville Medora or Louie interviews Neville Medora about crappy drawings. I'll write out a ton of headlines and then what I'll do is I'll go away for five minutes or 24 hours, and come back and look at all those headlines again with fresh eyes, and I'll bold the ones that I like the most that just jump out at me for some reason, and that's what I do. And usually there's like one or two that jump out way more than the others. It it happens every time.
0: There you have it. It's I think that's simple. It's a good recipe. I like it, and I appreciate you being super honest and and super contrarian because i I like to be contrarian. So I'm glad that you're making the point. But Do you know
1: why, as a person who runs a copywriting business, I'm in the business of teaching Uh copyright. Why everyone wants you to think that writing a headline is so important. It's because it's this one little sentence that people think like their whole blog post is going to hinge on. Yeah. It's this one little sentence that they think the outcome of their product is going to lay upon. And so people start building it up that this is so important, but I'm here to tell you like that is not true. I've never seen a product succeed because of the headline. I've never seen a product completely fail because of the headline. It's usually other reasons or multiple reasons, but just saying that it's only the headline. Come on, give me a fucking break. Right. (laughs) It's like the, the iPhone 10 isn't going to flop because they don't have a good headline. Right. I mean, that's an easy example to pick on Apple, but like good, good products don't rest on one headline. That is a stupid and thing cop out thing to say. So I would say, don't worry about your headline as much, write 10 of them and just, just bang them out. Who cares? Like you're not going to use most of them. So who gives a shit, write 10 of them and then come back 24 hours later and, and pick which one you think is the best and go with that. And Uh, that's how you do it. There's no magic to it.
0: Uh, Neville, do you know what I've noticed? Hmm. I've noticed that you use the ADA formula in the way you talk as well. You know that, right?
1: Um, I, I, consciously did that a long time ago and now I kind of unconsciously do yeah. it. Yeah. Like you're <laughs> fucking up with
0: my brain. You ask me a question I want to know the answer to. And then you, anyway, it's, it's pretty amazing
1: actually. Um, <laughs> that, it's well, true, isn't good it? No, I've, I have assimilated it into my conversation, which yeah. is, which is very true. Yeah, I have. Um, an- another
0: way that you, that, uh, you advise people to, um, to come up with headlines is something that, um, Joanna Weeb from copy hackers mentioned as well is to mm-hmm. basically steal ideas from Amazon, Reddit and online reviews, uh, and literally just using the way people mm-hmm. using the product describe it. Mm-hmm. And that's, I yes. feel that's super fucking powerful as well.
1: That's actually really cool because, um, the reason that you would do that is let's say if you're writing for a, a pro let's say like, 35 year old mothers who have two kids. Well, I'm not a 35 year old mother that has two kids. So it's hard for me to relate to the types of problems that a 35 year old mother would have. So what I would do is type in, you know, mom, two kids or something like that, and let Amazon do the work and figure out what book is best for me. And then I'll look at the reviews. And one of the weird things is you'll find these really powerful statements that, that you would have never thought, you know, um, and so for example, I'll look at review of like, you know, how to, it'll be a book called like how to parent two children and the, the number one ranked review of the book will be titled something like, I felt so lonely until I found this book. And I was like, lonely, why, why would she feel lonely? And then I realized it's a mom at home. Her husband's at work all the time. She's at home by herself with kids all day and day in, day out, she's just attending to her kids and she feels lonely. There's no other adults to talk to. And, and, and I was just like, oh, oh, my God. Like I never in a million years would have thought that loneliness would be how you can describe a mother of two kids that takes care of her kids all day, right? Well, would you have thought of that? I, I wouldn't have. No. And so, so if I was going to send out a subject line to that audience, it would be something along those lines and almost steal those words verbatim of I never felt so lonely until six months into having two kids. And and that would be like a, a punch in the gut for people in that situation. So, yeah, that that is a really great way to do it, too. Um, although if I'm writing about something I know, I often don't have to do that.
0: You talked about an example where you had to write about, or I think you did a test with someone you knew, and uh, writing about a subject that you didn't have a clue about. Mm-hmm. Uh, American football, I think it was. Uh, yeah. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes. And so the best way to write about American football is I either have to research it or I, I whenever I have consults, I require the person to be on the call with me and we write together. I don't write alone. So when someone knows a lot about American football, I could just ask them, you know, what, what what's the what's the biggest problems here or something like that? And, it, you know, I think in that example, I was writing to coaches of, of football. And so I think I know the example you're talking about the biggest topic I asked my friend about who knew all about coaches in American football, he says, everyone is scared of RBIs. And I was like, what is an RBI? And it means like running back. I I don't even know what the hell it means actually. Like, right. That's how little I know. Me neither. But he, he was saying there's this new type of play that within the last six months has just been decimating teams. And if you don't know how to defend against an RBI, then your team is going to lose like with, precision certainty right and i was like well that's a pretty big damn deal right <laughs> so so the 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 subject line was how to defend against rbis and I don't even know what an RBI means, but I know that everyone else in that community know what it means and that they're afraid of them. Right. So th- that was a really good subject line. And the way I figured that out was just asking the person that knew all about football.
0: So yeah. it's, it's not really, that's a very good argument to say. It's really never about what it is, what a product is. It's more about the problem it solves, the benefit it brings. And even if you don't have a clue about the product on its own, if you have a deep understanding of your customers and the problem they suffer from then it's going to be much 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 easier to write copy
1: well one of those things you said i think it is which is the problem that it solves right and so rbis is what everyone in the whole coaching community is freaking out about and they don't know how to defend against it and i'm offering a solution here how to defend against rbis right exactly and then and then the the sales pitch is that they were selling um like a 20 dollar informational course by the guy who invented it or something like that and so he knows how to defend against it and so I think for $20 for them to learn how to defend against those would be a very good deal for them. And, and sure enough, it killed it. Yeah, it did great.
0: Right. The third thing I wanted to talk to you about today, and thanks for going through this exercise, uh, is the about page. And I think that's something that I haven't really talked about before in this podcast. Mm-hmm. The fact that usually about pages suck. I mean, mine sucks. I can I can go on most websites. Mm-hmm. uh, Founders websites and software websites and whatever on the about page is usually quite shitty, right? Mm-hmm. So, in your own perspective, um, how how do you like to see and talk about and and create a, a compelling about page? What should we have in mind when we write our own about page?
1: So, so I'm going to offer you two answers. One, if you type in copywritingcourse.com/about page or something, or copywriting course about page, just Google it. There's a woman named Marian Shambari who wrote a guest post with me. We kind of co-wrote it, but she has her own way of writing an about page that a lot of people really liked. So I'll credit her with that. However, my personal view on um, about pages is a little bit more simplistic and that it's not as important as people think also. So it is the second most visited uh, site on your page. However, here's what I will say about an about page. I, once again, I look backwards at it. I don't think of what it should an about page be. What are people going to feel when they come to my page? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't care. I don't care. Okay. The thing, no one care. No one thinks about an about page afterwards. Like try to remember anyone's about page. Like, can you even think about it? Like, I don't know what you want the about page to do is direct them to some other site. So if someone lands on copywriting and they click the about page, I don't want them to leave right after the about page. I want them to see maybe a picture of me, understand who it's by all that stuff. But the main thing I want them to do is go somewhere else on the page or subscribe or call a phone number. You know, it. it you have to make them take an action at the end of an about page. So more so than like, what should an about page be? I wanna know, I scroll right to the bottom and I go, what is the next step? And if there's no next step, You know, you're just describing I'm Louis Grinner, and I run a podcast and then it ends. You have failed. Instead, what if you said, I'm Louis Grinner," blah, blah, blah. You could talk about your whole life story. I don't care what it is. I just want to know at the end, it says, if you want to follow along my journey, sign up your email here. Or if you want to hear my best episode of my podcast, click here. There has to be an action at the bottom of that about page that that is 100% the only thing I'm totally concerned about. Um, Other than that, it's up in the air of what you should do. And um, so then it depends on what kind of site you have. So I have an informational site where I'm trying to be the guru, essentially, right? That uh, in terms of copywriting, I want them to think of me as this really high up guy. So I'm going to obviously create my whole about page and showing that I'm involved in multiple companies that are pretty big. And I, I set the tone for all the copywriting for them. I'm invested in these companies. I've written for like a trillion different publications that, you know, so I want them, I, I've written thousands of articles on my own. So I want them to show, I want to show in my about page that I am this guy. I'm the real deal. Now, if I was selling uh, yo-yos or something like that, the about page doesn't have to be about a specific person. It could be about the sport of yo-yoing or something like that. But at the very end of that, it has to, push them over to either subscribe or check out some yogos to buy. So that's my theory of how an about page should be. I don't know if that's as good of a theory as Marianne uh, laid it out. She laid it out very step by step, but that's my theory. I just want to know what the action is at the end of the about page. Yeah, and
0: I would concur. You should definitely check out this article, which is quite interesting. We're not gonna go through this structure in details because I have a few questions I wanna ask. I really wanna know the answer in particular. Uh, what has been your biggest fuck up in your copywriting career so far?
1: I think just writing about random things is a bad thing to do. So I used to do that because I started writing on the web in like, you know, 1998 or something like that. Right. And there there honestly just wasn't that much good content on the web back then. Now, I mean, there's a lot of good content, like a lot. <laughs> and so so it's if you just write about random things, it's not as a. Uh, it's not as good. Instead, I properly research the things first before I write about them. There's so many articles I want to write that I scrap. Like there's just not enough people searching for it. There's not enough interest in it. So, um, I never really wanted to write like a, how to become a copywriter article because I actually don't like telling people to become professional copywriters. I think it's kind of difficult and not that many people are going to succeed big time at it. So um uh, but then i kept looking at the search volume for how to become a copywriter and the amount of people asking me how to become a copywriter and i was like you know what this is a very commonly asked question i should answer it and even if my answer is don't become a copywriter well i need to tell people that right so now i make sure to research my articles a little bit better before writing them um so i i gauge the demand i use a multitude of tools i i, I search for them in google to see if there's demand And, uh, and that I think is a big differentiation of what I do now versus before, before I just write any article, spend a bunch of time. And it's like a question people didn't even want, you know,
0: come on, you have to give me a precise answer on this one. What is the the biggest mistake copywriting wise with a client, the thing that you didn't do well, that you know, led to a loss in sales, something that you learned the hard way. So that's a good one, but I think it's not specific enough. I love to hear you, your perspective on a, on a specific
1: mistake you've made and what you learned out of it. Specific mistake. I think I learned this a while ago. I mean, I wish I could give you a more juicy answer. So this, I think trying to sell something like a shirt, like a visual product with a lot of copy. In the beginning, I thought like, oh man, this copywriting stuff works so well. Forget using images. So for visual stuff like selling T-shirts, we did this whole experiment that I totally thought would work. I tell these crazy stories about how cool the shirt was and what it's made out of. And it just flopped versus just showing a picture of the goddamn shirt. <laughs> so I think that's that was a big mistake that I learned from. It's just like a visual product needs to be visual. You need to just show the product. You're looking for something really juicy. I don't know. I, I what's a what's a juicy thing you want to know? You can ask more questions, and I'll tell you. But I don't know. No, if no, I have that's any... better. It, that's already better. Yeah.
0: I think that goes back to the why you are adding so many images, and and goes back to what you said at the very start, which is it's not it's never about copywriting. It's about the end game, and you have this way of thinking that always goes back to the to the goal, to the, the objective, the end uh, result.
1: And I, so I will say this about the crazy images that like if you take everyone's feedback, like like. I feel like everyone hates me all the time, not everyone, but like a lot of people, there's always like every day in my inbox, there's a bunch of really good emails. And there's always one or two that stick out to you because they're negative. They're like, why do you curse so much? Or, Or like, I'm like, I don't even curse that much in my stuff. They're like, you tell dirty jokes. I'm like, the jokes aren't even that dirty. Um, someone's just always going to hate you. And so you always try to flatten out your content for the mass audience. Right? So some people would tell me, they're just like, you know what? I work at a big company and I would never take you seriously because you have these dumb drawings. Like it just doesn't look professional. And the way you talk is unprofessional. So then I have tried in the past to kind of, you know, flatten out my talk or make the images look more professional and more normal. And you know what? No one links those posts. Like those posts don't get any love because they're just kind of boring because I'm talking about boring concepts like emails and stuff like inherently, it's not very interesting. But if I make it really interesting with my stupid drawings, then people actually learn and like them and link them. And so that's what I learned a long time ago. It's just like, look, this is just my personal style and I enjoy doing them like that. So I'm going to keep doing it even if I lose a portion of the audience that thinks it's not professional enough. But
0: because I I think it's a good sign, right? And that's something I want to carry. I want to make sure that uh, if you're listening to this podcast right now uh, to understand is that this is a good sign. I mean, Neville is is someone with quite a lot of uh, people in his email list and he receives those emails every day. But usually if some people either love what you do or hate it, I personally believe this is a good sign. I do receive a lot of shitty emails. I mean, not as much as you probably do because you have a, a, a huge following. I also receive a lot of emails, people saying that they absolutely love the podcast. And I know then that this is the right thing. You can't please everyone and you need to stick to what you believe, who you are, and shouldn't really give a fuck about what other people think uh, to a certain extent.
1: Yeah, I think Tim Ferriss, I st- uh, I'm stealing this directly from Tim Ferriss' podcast. But I heard a really good thing he wrote. And I wrote it down in my notes because I thought it was really good. And he, he writes these books. And, of course, like everyone has an opinion on everything, right? So he's just like, if a bunch of people don't like a certain chapter, I don't pay attention to that feedback. But if someone, if a few people really, really, really love that chapter, I leave it in. So he knows that polarizing content is sometimes it's okay. And so that's the same way. And also every time I've tried to write kind of with everyone's feedback in mind, I get bored of the content and I just think it doesn't come out very well. Yeah. And so it's just like, Agreed. you kind of just have to accept that, you know, some people are really gonna hate your stuff. And it's like, that's just, it's okay. It's okay.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and, and uh, in my company, I work for Hodjar, and one of the things we do is we only allow one round of feedback on articles for example because we know oh, then that yeah, nice. you know people jump in and then they basically find anything they can comment on to show that they are actually contributing to the article and what i feel is that the personality the style gets diluted by all this feedback and if you start to just incorporate all this feedback it turns into yet another shitty article that everyone has produced at least once in their marketers
1: uh, career right actually it's uh, i think it was like a man, it was I don't know, uh, some, someone on some podcast, I heard some, some celebrity like Jamie Foxx or someone like that was talking about the feedback that you get. And he was just like, you can't read YouTube comments on any cl- clip of a movie. Cause someone's going to be like, Oh, he sucks. And it's going to get to you. And the other thing is don't listen to the feedback that they do, um, for movies. So what happens is they workshop them. They they show people the movie and at the end they go, okay what did you like about the movie? And because they're saying like, what did you like about it? People say certain things. And then they go, what did you not like about the movie? And all those people getting paid to be there aren't going to say nothing. So they say, well, I didn't like that character and how he blah, 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 blah. And if you listen to that feedback, you'll be like, oh my God, maybe I shouldn't have done that, blah, blah, blah. But that's not how most people consume content. Most people consume content and then they don't answer a questionnaire about it. <laughs> you know, yep. they just consume it and then there's done. Like there's there's no feedback afterwards. And so similarly, yeah, if you keep getting rounds of feedback, it becomes this groupthink think thing and it becomes a piece of shit. That's usually why really <laughs> big companies don't put out a lot of good content.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's funny because I, I think most of the like the best ideas out there, the most the the, the things that are really original, that are tr- that you feel an emotional connection, uh, with usually comes from one person idea and something that is just like, it's not group thinking. It's just one person came up with it. They tried it out. It worked nice. Right. And it just, it happens in my company. It happens in the podcast. It happened many times over. As soon as, as soon as you have to dilute your own vision, mission, and uh, personality because someone else gave you feedback, then I think this is where things are not right. Um, so yeah, was, that's a nice uh, discussion. I think I can talk about it for hours as well. But I'm conscious of your uh, schedule as well. So what do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years, 50
1: years? I will say, and it, it, this, is, this is my opinion, but I think learning how to manipulate computers is the most important skill of the future. I think everything's getting a little bit more automated. And so learning how to at least make a WordPress website is going to take you a long way. I always tell writers, if all you know how to do is write on a Google doc, you're fucked because that skill is not as important anymore. Um, I am so much more dangerous than all these other copywriters because I know how to use Photoshop. I know how to use a couple different video editing softwares. I know how to do some basic HTML stuff on my website that they cannot do and that's why i kill them i just i'll kill a lot of them because i'm just more dangerous than them and so i think honestly learning how to make a web page look pretty change the font size um change the the way the text is laid out make a little table make a little box you know uh, learn how to do some um some basic image drawings on an ipad pro or photoshop like learning photoshop i think is one of the greatest skills that a copywriter can do I think those kinds of things take you so much further in the copywriting world and you were so much more valuable, right? Like for example, um, a copywriter will often come in they're they're making some landing page for uh, a new product, right? A copywriter will come in and write text, but he can't actually implement it. So then you have to get a designer to go and design it. Then you have to hire a programmer to go implement the design, Whereas someone like me can come in and be like, you know what? I'm going to make the whole goddamn page. I can go in and write it. I can make all the images and I can actually make it start working on your website. Um, And that's why people will pay me a lot more money because instead of three people, I have the skills that I can just replace all of them. So, so I am more dangerous than the person that's just like, oh, I will just write your copy because I know some tech. And learning tech nowadays, I think, is just going to be so much more important, um, unfathomably more important in the future. So uh, learning tools like even like Google Docs, I know tricks in Google Docs that other people just don't know. And so therefore, I'm more dangerous with it. I know stuff in Google Spreadsheets or Excel that other people can't do. I know how to use uh, WordPress really well. I can, you know, slightly manipulate my themes and do certain things on it that other people can't do. And that just makes me better than them. And so I think learning tech is going to be uh, a good place to start, like basic HTML. Um, learning to write your posts in HTML would be helpful. You don't always have to do that. And I don't always do it. But it is good to know because you could do so much more um, than another copywriter that can't do it.
0: I think my whole world is, world is, is, is shattered right now because you, you talked about Photoshop and you didn't mention Paint.
1: No, I don't actually use paint. A lot of people see my drawings. I I use an iPad Pro and I I use a a program called Sketches. There's like a million of them. So that's just the one I started using a few years ago. It is called Tatsuyua Sketches or something on iPad Pro. And then I import the drawings into Photoshop. So I just airdrop them between my computers and, um, and then I edited on Photoshop at a watermark and then put it up. Nice. Yeah. But I'm so good at that process now that it takes me almost no time to make these images sometimes.
0: Yeah, I can see <laughs> what yeah. are the top yeah. three. <laughs> Cause
1: sometimes there's a lot. <laughs> exactly. No, no, but it's like, I would encourage, uh, I, uh, nowadays I do have some help. I have some help on some of the images now because I make so many of them. But, um, up until about a year ago, I mean, I made every single one of them myself. Yeah.
0: Nice, and 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 if you're listening to this podcast right now, and if if you haven't seen those drawings yet, I go to copywritingcourse.com with a K uh, at each uh, start of each word, and you'll see uh, what we're talking about. Um, What are the top three best resources you would recommend our listeners?
1: I always like the Halbert Boron letters. Um, So here's the thing: that I like free stuff. I, I don't like to recommend stuff that costs a lot of money. So, um, if you type in the boron letters by Gary Halbert, uh, this is a really polarizing piece of thing. Cause a lot of people hate it. And it was written in the 1980s by a guy named Gary Halbert who was in jail. Okay. He was in jail for like mail fraud for something he wrote copy for. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of a weird story already, but what he did was he wrote, wrote this sequence of letters to his son, training his son how to write direct mail. And I think it's one of the best, um, trainings for direct response copy I've ever seen. And keep in mind, Gary Halbert's a controversial figure. He lived in the eighties when it's kind of like a more, more aggressive, a little bit scammy, but I still think it's one of the best trainings I've ever seen on how to influence people to buy something. And he's very funny. He's very raunchy. So some people don't like it. Um, But you can download those letters. And I would highly, highly, highly suggest you buy an ink cartridge And print them out because if you just read them online I'm telling you there's something different about it Um, it was meant to be turned on a page so um, if you print them it'll say um, so to learn this trick my friend make sure you take your fingers and turn the page and you're just like oh I'll do that and you go and do it and so there's something very powerful about that and I remember the first time I read those I was super pissed off at the same time I was very happy and the reason was I was happy I had just learned how to totally sell everything in my life. I try to sell better, but I was pissed off that all these times I've tried to sell something, I had basically done it wrong. I used to go power wash homes in high school for money, and I would just be like, uh, "Do you want me to uh, power wash your driveway?" I, like that—that that was my sales pitch. I, I didn't—I didn't know how to sell anything. I didn't know that there was a different way to do it. And now I was, and then when I was reading the the Boron letters, I was like, "Holy shit! I should have taken before and after pictures." And giving them a whole pitch using the ADA formula, like all the stuff I, I was thinking of, I was like, God damn it, why didn't I do this? Like, I kinda, I would have been a millionaire by now, you know? Like that's what I was thinking when I first read them. And so that had one of the single largest impacts on me in terms of copywriting uh, b- by far uh, over anything else. Right. The next one is uh, Joseph Sugarman. So a lot of these old school marketers were, were hella shady, right? They're just, very aggressive. It's kind of like what you'd see at clickbait and gross marketing. Now the stuff you hate, but Joe Sugarman was one of those guys back in the day that wasn't like that. He was one of the few guys that wasn't like that. And I've actually met this guy. He's, he's, he's quite old now. Um, but, but still a great guy. And, uh, he had a book called, uh, it's now called the, the ad week guide to copywriting, I believe. Um, they, they changed the name of it for some reason, but if you type in Joseph Sugarman ad week, you will find this book. And he goes through these 26 or 29 triggers, as he calls them, of what makes people buy. And it is a brilliant, brilliant series um, of triggers. Um, if you want to hear it in – let me look it up for you right now. Sugarman Triggers Podcast or something like that. There's a series of um, of interviews he did about all these triggers. Uh, so if you search it, Joe Sugarman triggers, podcasts, something like that. You should be able to find it. It's this old, uh, interview he did. Right. Um, he goes through every single one. I've probably listened to that series of podcasts on my phone over the years. I mean, uh, each one probably 50 plus times. Wow. Okay. It it was just in my music library and I would listen to them all the time. And he would talk about, uh, (laughs) scarcity or greed or, um, collection. Like these are all different triggers to make people buy. And I've just never heard anyone explain them as eloquently as this man. And he also uh, made his living honestly. And he killed all these other guys. He was way more richer. Like this guy's actually rich. A lot of these direct response <laughs> copywriters talk about being rich, but you know how you could tell if someone's really rich. He's really rich. So um, I always admired him in that he was an honest man and he managed to just beat out all these shady motherfuckers. <laughs> so I really, really resonated with that. And so anything by Joe Sugarman, any sort of interview you listen to, I think it is really super worth it. Right, so that <laughs> was the number two. Thing, and number three? It, that was number two. No, number three resource. I would honestly, like I have, I don't know why no one's ever done this, but made a swipe file publicly available. And that's why that's why I did swipefile.com. And I'm I'm not trying to promote it. I make no money off of it. I promote everyone else's stuff on it, actually. Um, copywriting course is mine. That's my business. But I thought swipefile, It's like, so for example, let's say you're, you're, you're making a pricing page or you're making a sales page and you want to make pricing for your next podcast product or whatever. Right. And you're like, how, how do you do pricing? Well, if you go to swipefilecom slash pricing, it just shows all these different examples of how people price their products, successful products. And you can look at it and see these similarities visually and how people do it. And so instantly you're like, Oh, I, I, I shouldn't just make one price. I should make three different packages because that's what everyone's doing. Um, And that seems to be what works. So I think having a good swipe file is very helpful. And I have a physical swipe file that I keep in my closet and add to it all the time. But it's this big old stack of papers and binders. And I don't go through it all the time is the problem. Whereas with my normal swipe file, I think I have like nearly 600 pieces in there, my digital one. And I actually look through my digital swipe file all the time. And so I think that has really, really helped me, um, um, show people what I'm thinking. It helps me come up with ideas and I reference it all the time. And just for a few minutes, like if I want to, I'm making a sales page, I'm like, what do, how do people structure sales pages? I go to swipe sales pages. And I look at it and I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. Ooh, this one has a good part or, oh, the, the header on this one is really nice. And so I'll kind of make a Franken site out of whatever I see, like take good ideas from different people's ideas. So um, I think having a swipe file is a highly recommended thing. And if you don't have one, you could just reference mine if you'd like to. It's
0: definitely a really nice way to end this podcast. Um, and Neville, uh, thank you so much for spending the time uh, to, to speak about all of this today. Uh, no worries. Lo- Thanks for having me. I, l- I love how passionate you are about all of this stuff. Uh, so it's been <laughs> an absolute pleasure to talk to
1: you. No worries. Thank you so much for having me, Louis. I appreciate it. I hope you learned something.
0: So thank you so much once again, and au revoir.